Welcome to Drinks at Work by Boothby with Sam Bygrave. That's me. This is a show about how you can go about building a creative and rewarding career in and around the world of drinks. We're back for the 2023 season of the show, and today's episode is a little different. It's a live recording of a Q&A I held with Julio Bermejo at Piers 40 in Sydney after an Altos Tequila Masterclass there. Julio is best known as the creator of the Tommy's Margarita, but he's a lot more than that. Not only does he run his family's San Francisco restaurant, Tommy's Mexican Restaurant, he's also an official ambassador for tequila to the world, and he's won a number of accolades, including the Lifetime Achievement Award at Tales of the Cocktail in 2014 and the Industry Icon Award at the 2017 World's 50 Best Bars Ceremony. But most importantly to me and to others who have met Julio, he embodies hospitality. He's a nice guy with a passion for sharing his experience and knowledge, and he's not short of a good story either. So here we talk about how he got into tequila, what makes Tommy's Mexican restaurant so special, and what has kept it going for 58 years, how he happened into creating a modern classic in the form of the Tommy's Margarita, and about hospitality and about life. Towards the end of the talk here, during questions from the audience, you'll hear Stefano Catino from Maybe Sammy give a stirring statement of just how much Julio means to the industry. It pretty much sums it up. It's a great chat, so let's get into it. Here's my talk with Julio Bermejo. Hi, everyone. My name's Sam Bygrave. I've not met you before. Nice to see you all here. Thank you, Martin. Nice to see you. Nice to see that Liam's alive somewhere after the Barabar party. That's why my voice sounds like it is, but thankfully I have a microphone. And we're talking to Julio Bermejo, the man, the myth, the legend. He's the creator of the Tommy's Margarita. He's won just about every award there is on the international stage to win. And he runs an amazing place and it's full of hospitality. So can you give him a round of applause? Thank you. Thank you, Sydney. He's a wonderful man. I've had the pleasure of interviewing you a few years back. It was one of the, the best interviews I've done. I could have talked to you for hours. So we won't go for hours here. We'll go for about 20, 30 minutes or so. And then if you guys have got some questions, we'll get some questions for him as well. Yeah? Okay, but I wanted to just to start off with, before we get to the Tommy's Margarita and, you know, um, and tequila more broadly, I wanted to ask you about what was your, what's your earliest memory of Tommy's Mexican restaurant, your family restaurant? <laughs> well, it's kind of funny because um, I, I've told a similar story many times where I hated the fact that my family owned a restaurant. I mean, I was working there since, I mean, not being paid, but working there <laughs> from when I was five or six years old, deboning chickens, you know, peeling potatoes, turning carrots. And I hated having to work at Tommy's because, you know, I, I went to school across the street from Tommy's. There's a Catholic grammar school called St. Monica's. Mm. And so... And, and, you know, we have a neighborhood bar and restaurant. And so people who live in that neighborhood would come. And everybody knew I went to school there. And most of the people there were customers. So I was really embarrassed that my schoolmates would see me having to clean a table or take a plate away or bring people napkins or be whatever. Right? I hated it. I just absolutely hated it. So um, what eventually would happen and the reason I would fall in love with tequila and with the bar was because we had a bar at Tommy's that had a wall that separated the bar from the dining room. So I was at the bar where none of my friends could come see me clean and do things, so I felt safe there, right? But yeah. my earliest remembrance is yeah, deboning chickens and grating Monterey Jack cheese for hours. <laughs> oh, oh and, and back in the day, four, 50 years ago, 
You know, you couldn't in California, you couldn't buy triple cleaned pinto beans. So what that meant was you uh-huh. sorted out every fucking bean. <laughs> and you know what? There's rocks in beans. There's dirt balls in beans. I mean, there's everything in beans. And that was another job that I, you know, like kill me. I'd rather, rather you torture me than have me do that. So how old were you when the change happened, the way you actually started to enjoy the business? Was it, was it this, when you were a teenager, did you, what, oh, what I did hated you want it. to do? Well, no, so, so back to, you know, I go to school across the street, and Tommy's was one of the first venues in San Francisco to have an open kitchen before it was trendy, right? So yeah. in the 80s in America, the open kitchen and the quote-unquote fine dining restaurant was the thing, so you could see the people working and you could see how clean it was, or you could see the ingredients. We had an open kitchen by necessity because that's the space that we had in our place. So anyone who walked by the restaurant from the street could see what the people in the kitchen were doing. Now, in order for me to escape my father yelling at me and having me come into work, because we had these windows in the front of Tommy's, I had to duck under the windows, then get to the corner cross the street but if i crossed the street literally in front of tommy's my father had an eagle eye he'd see me and run out and go get your ass back here so i would go around the block of my school so i could enter the playground from the other side so i just i in general as a child i hated yeah. the fact that we had a restaurant so, so when did that change for you um well it only changed when i fell in love with tequila because right. up until that point even though I quote-unquote started making cocktails when I was about 14. And my father, you know, my father taught me how to make Manhattans for the police officers on <laughs> duty that would come in. So he would immediately tell me, or he goes, okay, you got to get the coffee cup. you got to chill the coffee cup. Then you're going to make the drink this way. Then when you pour the Manhattan in the coffee cup, serve it to the officer. So it looks kind of like a, like a watered-down coffee. But indeed, you know, the cops at Tommy's at a great time. I don't, know if, I don't know if a lot of crime was prevented, but did there you, were good times. Do you have to pay for parking tickets still? Or? We personally did not. So that's, there's also a little bit of Mexican way over there. Okay, very good. Well, let's, I mean, let's before we get on to the Tommy's Margarita, for anyone who maybe doesn't know, can you tell us about Tommy's, the restaurant? So, because it's, you know, it's known around the world now. Oh, it's, that's very um, kind. So my parents, Tommy and Elmi, um, started a Mexican restaurant in 1965 in the city of San Francisco, California. And as you know, as many people think, San Francisco is a liberal and truly progressive city. Yet, when my parents opened their business in the middle 60s, there were so many protests and demonstrations and problems in America stemming from the Vietnam War, from the Nixon administration, from Ronald Reagan being the governor of California and you know, taking students, uh, arresting students at my university at Berkeley. And there's so many problems that my parents thought, you know, we shouldn't name our restaurant something kind of authentic or Mexican. Let's name it something that the people that live in our neighborhood can understand and easily pronounce. So after my father's name, Tomas Amis. Now, if you fast forward 50 years and you don't know us, no one in their right mind wants to go to a Mexican restaurant named Tommy's, right? You want to go to La Fuente. You want to go to, you know, whatever, right? Something more authentic. Yeah. But it is, uh, luckily, we do have a fair reputation, and we've been in our neighborhood, the Richmond District, and in our 
same location for 58 years. 58 years, that's amazing. So 1965, you opened. Yep. When did the Tommy's Margarita come into the picture? What, was that the 80s, was it? Uh, about the late 80s, and it coincides with the introduction with agave fructose, right? You know, there's, there's a saying that, that many people have heard me say in my seminars, and that everything that has to do with tequila is truly predicated on the life cycle of agave tequilana, right? So as we know from experience, sometimes we experience shortages of agave, and sometimes we have gluts of agave. We haven't had a glut of agave in a long time, but when gluts were very prevalent, where they, they were every other cycle, you would see either new brands become created, you would see uh, different applications for tequila, like flavored tequilas, and you would see people using agave in other ways. In this case, in the middle uh, 80s, as, as a sweetener, right? Mm. As a sugar source, because the industry couldn't handle the amount of agave that was available. Now, today, agave fructose doesn't come from agave tequilana, but that's a different story. But when that is presented to us, and it was someone came in to Tommy's and said, oh, have you seen this sweetener before? I had not. Yeah. And even though it was 10 times more than, than sugar cane, it seemed like a natural to use in the margarita because it came from the plant. Yeah. Right? So it seemed like a no-brainer. Well, it makes sense, and, but it didn't exist before. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the other thing, too, that was kind of monumental was a desire to make a margarita that tasted of tequila. You know, so for, for many years, you know, people, I mean, the margarita is still a very popular drink and people love them and people even love bad margaritas, right? Yeah. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> or like pizza, right? There's no bad pizza either. But, but you know, so I remember one time I was at a, a small trade show in San Francisco and I had my little name badge that said Julio from Tommy's and I walk by a very famous French orange liqueur company <laughs> and as I walked by that table the gentleman said hey 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 as he's looking at my name tag hey Julio come over here and I went over there and he goes hey do you make margaritas over there at Tommy's I go oh yes we do and he goes well if you use our beautiful French orange liqueur, you can use the cheapest tequila you want, <laughs> and your margaritas are going to taste like our product. And so I told him, yeah, but I actually want our margaritas to taste of tequila. And the guy had no response. He was like deer in headlights. <laughs> Who wants to taste tequila? I mean, why would you ever want to possibly do that, right? And well, we wanted to do that because we knew there was this other category of tequila called 100% agave that I had been introduced to that I thought was the way to go. And, and the decision that we took to no longer pour regular tequila in favor of 100% agave over 35, 36 years ago yeah. was, was pretty monumental. That was 36 years ago. Yeah, Fine. but my guest didn't understand that. He or she knew that they were drinking a delicious and at that time still blended Tommy's Margarita, but they didn't know why. It took several years for them to actually learn. And if I had been working in a corporate environment, I would have been fired the day <laughs> after because the pour cost between you know, what I was pouring, which was Salsa Hero, 
the pouring Iridura Blanco Suave was dramatic and we didn't raise the price that much. Well, long term, the return on the, uh, you know, the marketing now is known around the world, so it kind of does work out. Well, we lucked out. It was, <laughs> and, but the big part of that story you know, that Dre Masso humbly never tells is that it was because of Dre Masso and because of people at the IBA, the International Bartending Association, that actually took the Tommies to other places. You know, we, you know, you kind of live in your own little world. I'm in San Francisco and, you know, I'm, I was doing my own thing. It was very interesting because I almost started to get more of an understanding in the middle 90s, when I started having, having people like Tony Abuganam come to Tommy's and I go, He's okay, Las Vegas. Yeah, Tony Abuganam is the creator of the classic cocktail, the cable car. He created the beverage program, Bellagio, which yeah. won back in 1998, best hotel <clears throat> beverage program in the world. Uh, he's now um, a, a business partner of mine in TAG Global Spirits Competition, where Dre Masso is one of our judges as well. But, uh, but, you know, I was kind of amazed because I had heard of his name. But, you know, I'm just doing my own little thing at Tommy's. And, and they were just, or he was intrigued by the fact that we made our drinks with fresh juice. And I go, well, is there another way to make drinks? I mean, I, I just didn't know that, right? I mean, that's what we do. Yeah. Um, but again, it took other people, you know, to, to really... Tell us we were doing good work. Yeah, well, because, I mean, tell me about the name, the Tommy's Margarita. From my understanding, it wasn't ever, you didn't name it Tommy's Margarita. No, 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 not at all. It was the margarita that was sold at our restaurant, Tommy's, that would just said house margarita. And again, it was people like Dre and, and Henry and, and Dom Costa and Giorgio Fada that formally said, oh, this is the Tommy's Margarita. Yeah. We, we never did that. Yeah, right. We're, we're too stupid. <laughs> um, um, I don't believe that for a second. Huh? Uh, what does a typical week look like for you? I know it's hospitality, and so, you know I don't ask what a typical day is, but what is it? What are you? What are you doing every week? What, uh, uh, right now? Well, when, yeah, right now, <laughs> pretty t-shirts. Yeah. Well, no, when you're so, not in Australia. Yeah. Okay, I, I'd like to talk about that before the pandemic. Before the pandemic, you know, Tommy's was a very healthy business, um, and. Unfortunately, I think San Francisco is the most conservative COVID concerned place maybe in the world. Uh, my business is still down over 60%. I haven't seen 60 or 70% of my regulars in almost three years. Wow. So all my regulars are millionaires. They have multiple degrees or at least the PhD, but they stop traveling and they stop going out. They buy homes. They buy luxury goods, but they'll do takeout, but they don't want to go out because the media said, don't go out, yeah. and they don't go out. And, then, and so then it's not come back at all. Okay, so we'll, not yet. the pandemic, what was it looking like? All right, so for the pandemic, I, we're open six days a week. Uh, we're open from, from uh, 1 p.m. to 11 p.m. at night, yeah. and we are basically squeezing limes all day. <laughs> I, mean, not, I mean, sad to say, but you know, now we're open five days a week. We're open midweek from 5 p.m. to 8.30. That's it. Then on weekends, we're open from 1 to 8.30. Wow. And my neighborhood, which wasn't like a vibrant neighborhood, but there were people walking around and driving around. At 8.30, you can drive a tank 
down my street, which is the widest boulevard in San Francisco, and you won't hit anybody. I mean, you can zigzag and, and is nobody. That, and is that throughout San Francisco? Um, is it sort of a similar? Most or? of the city. Certainly, uh, there are three neighborhoods at least that are that were never really affected by the pandemic. The marina, uh, where the most concentration of young people are. North Beach, yeah. uh, which is another great young people area. And I'd say Hayes Valley, they're on fire. They're great. Right. They're like no pandemic ever. Right. Right. Okay. Well, the, the but, positive. No. It's gone. But it's going to come back. I mean, traditionally in San Francisco, the diner went out four to five times a week. Now it's twice a week. Obviously, you guys have also heard we're a heavily dependent, say, high tech city, and they're laying off people left and right. I mean, in tens of thousands. Yeah, right. A little scary. Yeah, it's not great for business. Yeah. Everyone I know who's been to Tommy's always talks about the hospitality and the warmth of the welcome there and just the little things that you do and your team does to make them feel welcome. And it has this massive big impact. And like, I, I can't think of an industry figure like yourself who's more kind of revered and beloved by everyone you come into contact with, to be quite honest. What is it, what, where does that warmth of hospitality come from for you? Where does it, is it, Something from parents, or is it? Yeah, it's definitely my parents. You know, my parents, um, you know, were from were immigrants from southern Mexico, from the Yucatan. Uh, My parents um, never got past the fourth grade in terms of education. Right, we grew up very, very poor, and the only reason my father left Mexico was he couldn't make a living in his country, and he went to the United States as a as an agricultural worker and worked his way through Texas, through uh, a little bit in Arizona, Southern California, then Northern California, um, had a relative in Northern California that actually got him a dishwashing job yeah. in San Francisco. And then he works his way up to being a line cook, quote unquote, falls in love with the restaurant business and cooking and wants to try his hand at having a little cafe. Yeah. But I, you know, my parents from a very early age just taught us uh, to respect everyone. Right. I mean, it doesn't matter what you look like, who you are, where you come from. We're all the same. And I will tell you that, interestingly enough, um, at this time in in the state of California, we were all sent to private school, not because private because we had money, but actually private school or private Catholic school when I grew up was very, very inexpensive. And because we had so many kids, we were five. Two of us got to go to school for free. So it was kind of like a deal. But the, but the principal thing about going to Catholic school that really helped me and helped, I think, us was the fact that because you were required to wear a uniform, everyone was the same. So when I grew up, except for the quote unquote, they were called free dress days yeah. when like your buddy would wear $20 Nike shoes. $20 is like, $10 million, right? <laughs> I was wearing $4 brand called Keds from Sears, you know? Yeah. And, you know, but, but aside from that, you were all the same. And I think that really helps you in your upbringing because, you know, nothing can impede you. If you're all the same, just try harder, right? Yeah. So I think that was great. That's, yeah, that's interesting. Um, what do you think the, uh, the personal traits that you have and that the kind of characteristics you have personally are? that have set you up for this career and make you good at what you do? Well, first, I, I, I think I can say I love people. And I've been so blessed 
in all the travels I've done that obviously the majority of travels have been for, for pleasure, for exploration when I was a student. Mm. And I always was lucky enough to find good people and friendly people and nice people. Yeah. And, and certainly I've been, I found myself in certain countries and cities where I needed help. And there was always someone there. Mm. And, you know, that I always took that back where, you know, I, when someone comes into Tommy's and, and takes and makes an effort to go from wherever it is they're coming to, to my city to go to the westernmost <laughs> part of the city where I'm located, which is in the sticks of San Francisco, I, I just truly value that effort. Yeah. And if we can do something special for them, we try. Yeah. Uh, but, but it's mainly just the good karma I've always gotten back. Right? Yeah, I mean, well, putting good things out into the world and all day, yeah. trying, trying. <laughs> okay, in terms of bars more broadly, what do you think makes a great bar? And I guess what makes you happy when you're in a bar? You know, I, for me personally, I like going to the places where you're made to feel welcome. Right? I mean, you can serve me sand in a glass with some water. <laughs> you can serve me shit food if you're nice and sincere. I'm going back. Yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'm a very simple person. You might order something else to drink other than a sandwich well, of water. Well, you know, um, <laughs> but it's really not, uh, you can train anyone to make cocktails, as you know, mm. and anyone can memorize recipes, you know, but being genuine, that, mm. that there's no greater gift. I always say that it's so much easier to be a waiter at a three-star Michelin restaurant than to deal with your regulars that see you three times a week because you can't bullshit them. They know when you're happy. They know when you're sad. They know when you had a great day. They know when you had a shitty day. They know when you're hungover. They know when you didn't get laid, you know, whatever, right? And a Michelin, you know, you just, yes, sir. Oh, it's great, sir. Great yeah. to see you, but whatever. Yeah, please have the special. Exactly, yeah. right? Well, that's wonderful. Um, that's all I've got. Do you guys have some questions for Julio that you'd like to ask? Anyone? I know Martin's always got a question <laughs> to put you on the spot. No? Is there another cocktail you like? Well, so, so here's the interesting thing, right? So I, I, the reason I started loving tequila was because, unfortunately, when I was a very young person, I stole every kind of alcohol from Tommy's. And with my dumbass friends, we'd go get drunk, right? And we saw that, oh, my God, drinking beer was a bad hangover. Drinking brandy was a bad hangover. Rum is a bad hangover. Gin is a bad hangover. You know, when we took that bottle of mixto, three generations on and it didn't give us a hangover, boy, the world kind of stopped there. And we got, <laughs> what's going on here? And then we just needed to be a little more sophisticated. We needed to steal better quality things from my parents. And, and, so when that happens, I, again, I'm a very simple person. If it works, don't fuck with it, right? So I started drinking most of the things that I enjoy with tequila. Now, when I meet Dre, at, it was actually the London Wine Fair, and I want to say it was maybe 2000 or 2000. Yeah, it was 2000 or maybe even 1999, um, because the Mexico trip with the president of Mexico was 2001. That's when I... Uh, that's when I saw you come to the session. Um, but anyway, so I walk into lab. Actually, I, I never got into lab the first time. It was a disaster. I didn't know anybody, right? I mean, you know, when you go to the door of like a 
kind of fancy place or whatever. And they go, well, who do you know? And I go, I don't know anybody. And the person at the door told me, oh, I guess it's going to be very difficult for you to visit us tonight. I go, oh, shit. I think I'm being told to fuck off. Right? <laughs> so, so I walk back to Cafe Pacifico on, uh, on, uh, on Lang, no, not on Langley, on the La Perla. I'm sorry, oh, okay. to La Perla on Maiden Lane, right? And then I, I talked to Charlie, the Greek bartender. I go, man, I tried to get in this bar, and they kind of basically told me to fuck myself. And Okay, well, whatever. So I ended up getting drunk at La Perla and had a great time. But I still wanted to go there, so we tried it again. And actually, that's when I met Dre the next day, and, and it was all okay. But I walk in the lab, the best bar in the world for many, many years, and certainly at that time. And they kindly give me the menu, but they're packed, you know, and I don't see anything I like. But I did see this one cocktail called the Bramble. And I go, this sounds really delicious. And I think it would sound and taste even more delicious if we could substitute the gin for tequila. So I asked Ross Simon, hey, can you do this? But instead of put some tequila instead of this gin, I mean, so... So, Martin, unfortunately, <laughs> when I go to many bars and new bars that I've never been to, I will gladly look at their cocktail list, and I hope it's generally a bar that doesn't pre-batch all their drinks, <laughs> because if they actually make drinks, I'll probably look for a drink that um, that is appealing to me and just ask if they can substitute whatever white spirit or aged spirit for 100% agave tequila. Right. Seems to work. <laughs> no, no, thank you. Oh, no, no. Well, yeah, if I don't drink tequila, I'll drink champagne. I drink just regular bowling on vintage or if it's my birthday, uh, you know, a little grand on A, uh, you know, but that's like my only splurge. I'm simple, simple, easy. Uh, um, but I'm hoping at Primo Sanchez, they're going to have some serious tequila cocktails. Right? Dre, I think, think we got to show up. I'm glad the Maybe Sammy people saw the light that agave, agave is good, and agave yeah. can make money. It, I mean, it's obviously in short supply, and, you know, I'm, not, I'm actually not here for Altos, but I will tell you what is mind-blowing about what Dre told you at the beginning, because this truly wasn't an Altos session, per se. But the fact that Altos continues to be batch distilled, you know, with no chemicals, no shortcuts, in the climate where we have just, uh, you can piss in a bottle and sell it if it's tequila, right? And there's so many mediocre products that having a product that is, I, I know the price has gone up, but it's still a tremendous value and bargain, you know, so it's really cool. Um, but yeah, that's my only plug uh, for Altos. But thank you. Oh yeah. Yeah, it, it is true. I you know I certainly did not go to any bartending school or anything and. You know, one of the first things that you actually see if you sit at the bar at Tommy's, we have two stations. Uh, and as you face the bar, there's obviously one on the left, one on the right. 
and you'll see tubs of limes, but you'll see limes that are cut like this and that they're placed into our tubs the same way they were cut, right? So, and we do that to try to minimize the oxidation in the lime during the day. And we're using the Mexican elbow, obviously. Um, we're using this. And we just want the greatest amount of surface area on which to apply pressure. But we want to squeeze pith and not rind to minimize that oil uh, and try to deliver the freshest, you know, brightest juice we can. Um, and again, it is kind of interesting that, oh, Jesus, every single bar in the world says they make drinks with fresh juice. And, you know, you walk into bars and you'll see a guy go like this. And I'll go, hey, brother, what's that? And he'll go, oh, man, that's fresh juice. And we'll just say, oh, you know, that's great, but we just do it a la minute because we think it makes a difference. Um, and I think it does. How many but, boxes of limes are you getting through? Well, you know, so, so before the pandemic, so we don't, we don't get five kilo boxes. The first time I came to Australia and London, I was just blown away. Like when I go, hey, can I get a case of limes? And someone brought me a five kilo box of limes. I go, this, what is this for two drinks or what? Right? So, 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 but you have to understand, I, my family's from a town called Oshkutskap. So that's it, a little town, a hundred kilometers southwest of the capital city of Merida. And our little town is the second largest citrus producing center in all of southern Mexico after Veracruz. So Veracruz is, is a, a Mexican state that is blessed with some of the most beautiful um, agricultural soil and soil for citrus. Mm. So they grow Persian limes, the kind of the lime that we use for our, our cocktail in droves. And when they run out, they go to our town and buy everything. I mean, everything. You see trailer truck after trailer truck for days. I mean, so it's honestly impressive. Um, uh, God, what was the point of that story? Uh, uh, how, how many limes? Oh, what, what so anyway, so, so anyway, <laughs> at Tommy's, we get our limes in 18 kilo or 40 pound boxes and a week we buy 35 right but but when we get them what people don't understand so back to this lime if you look at this lime this lime is perfect the the skin on it is thin when you cut it open it's all juice so what we would do at Tommy's uh, oh shit anyway. oh no don't worry, with the price of limes, let's watch that, right? <laughs> um, so I used to have a purveyor when I was really young and starting my program that would allow me to handpick every single lime at his shop. So I would go through, say, I would go three times a week. I'd buy 15, you know, to 10 to 15 cases at a time. But I'd have to go through like maybe 25 boxes to get the limes I wanted. And then I take them to Tommy's, and then our team would then handpick the limes that are ripest so that when we squeeze them, it looks like we're really strong <laughs> and that they're really juicy. But what we're trying to do is obviously squeeze the ripest lime that we can. So also they don't go bad, but also we're trying to make the work as simple as possible as well, right? Mm -hmm. So, but about 35, 18 kilo boxes a week. That's a lot of limes. A lot, a lot of, of Tommy's. Do we have some more questions from Julio? How much does the glass 
Okay, that's a great question. So um, today, or not today, but uh, two days ago, I was paying 38 bucks for 18 kilos, but but we've paid as much as $160 for 18 kilos. And, and so in America, you, if you're a bar owner and you're serving margaritas or guacamole, there are basically three times in the year where artificially you will pay three times the price. The first one is coming up in, in about a month. It's the Super Bowl. So the, Ameri- the American football championship called the Super Bowl is the biggest uh, guacamole eating day. <laughs> so avocados are going to triple. And then people use limes and avocados. And they'll triple the price of limes because people make margaritas. Then around Cinco de Mayo, same crap. Even though it's the middle of summer, they double and triple the price. <laughs> and then in winter, right, like right now, Limes are, well, they're not that expensive yet, but the quality is very difficult, right? They're picking literally anything they can. So limes that have thick skins that are, are, are better suited to be used as weapons during <laughs> demonstrations than for squeezing into your margaritas, right? So, but yeah, but it varies greatly. We don't have, con- you know, like if you go to Las Vegas, casinos will have contracts for limes and they'll pay like $30 all year round. And in some months it works out, some months it doesn't, but we buy on the spot market. Okay, anybody else for another question? A statement. A statement. I would go to a because I have to go to a day. That's why I'm dressed like a dude. But a statement because you are the, one of the nicest person in hospitality. You've heard this a million of times. You inspire me, like me, like others, for me, a million of bartenders. Oh, you're a true inspiration. You're one of the king of hospitality. We love you. Oh, it's and very you kind. Come out to us. Thank you for everything. Oh, Stefano, thank you. Yeah. And thank all of you. Thank you. No, fratello. Paolo. Thank you. I have to go. Grazie mille, fratello. Hey, see you, Primo Sanchez. Martin, thank you. Stefano. Grazie. Say hello to Andrea and everybody. All right. I think, Phil, you have a question? Or should we leave it on that note? Phil, Phil Bailey? So of all the bars you've been to, what would be like one of those outstanding ones? You know, so I, I think the funniest thing that ever happened to me was, you know, I, I've, I, for 16 years that I've been married to my wife, I've been trying to impress her, and nothing <laughs> impresses her, right? I mean, you know... In, I think in 2017, when they gave me the Icon Award at, at Top 50, I told my wife, and she goes, isn't that what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to work really hard. And so I, did, I go, what? There's like three people who won that award or something, yeah. right? Well, so I was working for Crystal Cruises, and I got the job through Tony Abuganem, who was a consultant for Crystal Cruises. And this was a cruise around the Iberian Peninsula. So, you know, you talk to guests about cocktails, make them drinks, whatever. And um, we stopped in Lisbon. And I, it had been 20 years since I had been in Lisbon. So I think I asked Dre and Henry. I go, hey, I'm going to be in Lisbon. Where should I go have a cocktail? And unanimously, people tell me, man, go to this place called Cinco Lounge. I go, cool, great. So I find out they open at 5 or 5.30. And I go there with my wife. And we're the first guests there, right? And perfect, right? 
So we walk into the bar and this bar was fascinating to me because it had a hot griddle in the middle of the bar, but with no protection. So if you're drunk or stupid, <laughs> put your hand on the griddle, you're going to burn yourself. Anyway, so I sit down uh, at the left part of the bar and this very young bartender comes over to me and he kindly gives me a menu and I look at the menu and same old story. I don't see a feel a drink that I want. Um, so I, I turn to this gentleman and he's maybe no more than 22. I was very young. And, and again with my wife and I go, Hey, um, can I just get a Tommy's margarita? And so this kid looks at me and he goes, why do you want to get a drink? You can get all over the world. Let me make you something original. And my wife just starts <laughs> laughing at me. It's, ha, 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 ha. And I'm like, fuck, no respect at all. <laughs> so I go, God, I'd love that, you know, as long as there's tequila in it. And so this gentleman, you know, puts some Padron peppers on the grill. He, you know, grills the peppers. He muddles them. He throws in some pineapple juice and, yeah. and made me a really delicious, spicy refreshing drink, right? I mean, I got great. I had two of them, right? I mean, this is amazing, right? So anyway, it's time to pay. So I go, oh, can I please get the check? You know, and so um, he gives me the check. I give him the money and I just put a business card down. I go, yeah, whatever, Tommy's business card. And so I'm walking out and he goes, oh my God, I'm so sorry. But, but you know, I think it, it was the fact that it's, it's very nice that the cocktail has you know, some appeal and, and people enjoy it. And, and what does and, that feel like? It's known around the world and it's come from that, well, that I, restaurant. I, I wish I got a quarter of a penny from every Tommy's <laughs> made. No, but no, it's really, it's really cool. I mean, the, I think the biggest satisfaction for me was I had the pleasure of taking my mother to South Africa in 2015 and I walk her into a bar and my, my mother today is 88 years old. So in 2015, she's like 81, 82. She's certainly not on the cocktail circuit and not, you know, on the, in the bar, you know, in the bar scene. But I walk her into a bar in Cape Town. Uh, you know, we walk up to the bar and there's two gentlemen working there. And I just asked for a Tommy's and they said, sure. And my mother just didn't believe it that someone so far away yeah. knew what the cocktail was. So that was really nice. That's pretty special. Yeah. That's pretty special. All right, we might leave it here because I think there's some drinks to be drinking. Please, can, can we get enjoy some Altos. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, Altos, Altos in California is on allocation, so I would drink it. Thanks to Julio again for the talk, to Alice Newport from Altos Tequila and Perna Ricard for organizing it and for everyone who turned up to hear it on the day. And thank you to you for listening. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please share them with a friend and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get yours. I really, honestly, really appreciate your support. Until next time, this has been Drinks at Work from Boothby.